Take your Bibles, please, and turn to Luke 24. We're going to spend some time there this morning. Thank you so much for reading that passage. So, so grateful. I got a list earlier this week that blessed me, and it's one of those, um, I've got to confess, I may be telling more about myself than I mean to, but it was a list of some reasons that indicate maybe some attention is needed in your life, and as I was reading it, I heard it in the voice of Jeff Foxworthy's, you might be a redneck if, right? Anybody? Has he like ruined all lists for you? I don't know if he does that, but the Southern just kind of resonates with me. Um, The way that Dr. Lawless, um, Dr. Chuck Lawless titled this list was, um, we may not fully grasp the resurrection if, dot, dot, dot. What I want to say this morning is, we, we might need a resurrection refresh uh, if some of these things are evident. I'm going to throw some of the list on the screen for you, and uh, let's just walk through it. I know that Resurrection Sunday was last Sunday, but man, the resurrection ought to impact us every day of our lives. But see if any of this resonates with you. We may need a resurrection refresh if everything went back to normal on Monday last week or right after Sunday for us. You went to church last Sunday because it was Easter, but nothing's really changed. You probably even assumed that would be the case. We may need a resurrection refresh if we fear death. If the idea of dying overwhelms you, it's possible that Easter doesn't mean enough to you. If we only see the negative in general, are you the dear brother or sister that Someone would call on if they needed a word of criticism. (laughs) Call them brother so-and-so for a wonderful negative word. I doubt it. Uh, Said no one ever, right? But Easter's about seeing a man die and believing that he wouldn't remain dead. It's refusing to camp out in negativity. We might need a resurrection refresh if we've lost hope. You used to believe more. You used to trust more. You used to lean on God more. But now, you're not even sure he listens when you call. Hmm. If you still live in bondage to sin, the resurrection of Jesus Christ may not hold the meaning that it needs to for you. It ended sin's reign. If sin is still winning in your life, you need resurrection power today. You've given up on your church. Now, I hope that doesn't fall uh, too close to home here on the pews, maybe for those of you watching online, but we've all been there before. We keep wanting something to change, and wow. When you see no prospects of change and no hope for correction and no possibilities of revival, you're neglecting the truth that God brings life out of death. Number seven, you believe that God won't accept you. But the resurrected Jesus reached out to followers, including the disciples that abandoned him at his crucifixion. You let worry consume you. The resurrection of Jesus Christ is a reminder that nothing is too big for God to overcome, and worry denies truth. Last two. You don't think much about those who don't have a relationship with the living God. When the resurrected Christ captures you, he will, you will talk about him to anyone who will listen or not. <laughs> An Easter holiday that doesn't lead to proclamation 
isn't, is, isn't worth much. Lastly, regardless of your walk with the Lord, it's likely you won't think much about the resurrection of Jesus Christ again until next Easter. <laughs> to be honest, even many of us long-term believers get caught here. In fact, we've heard the story so many times, it can become uh, easy to take for granted. Here's the reality here. We're losing touch with reality when it's easy for us to forget the resurrection. This morning, under the title of Resurrected Reality, I want to give you kind of a Resurrection 2.0, part two, if you will, sermon. I know that last Sunday was Resurrection Sunday. I did get the memo, but I want us to think about what it looks like to continue to walk in the reality of the resurrection. Last week was the come and see part of the text. This week, from Luke 24, we get the go and tell resurrection mission from the Lord Jesus Christ. If we're going to stay tethered to reality, this new reality, this new covenant, this new way of living, then we need to have a fresh view of the resurrection. You've got your Bibles there. It was the text that was just read, but in verse 36, I want us to look at the text for just a moment. We'll take it off the screen and just use your Bibles for a minute. Verse 36 and 37, you should see the word of the Lord saying, and as they were talking about these things, well, what were the, these things? The two from Emmaus had just come back. They're talking about the reports from the women that they dismissed at first and now are coming around to seeing. Before we get too frustrated with the disciples and their slowness to figure out what was going on, I wonder if we might attempt to step into their sandals for just a moment. Let's enter that locked room with the disciples. Will you do it with me? We're in the third day of our grief as we come to grips with our dream dying. Then the reports start trickling in, little by little, of the appearance of a resurrected Jesus. We, we start to have a glimmer of hope, and we, we start to go along then with Peter's report as he comes back and tells us. We, we give a nod, and, and the tears begin to fade as we listen to the two that were with Jesus on the road to Emmaus. We start talking about all these reports that we've been hearing about, and the more we talk about it, the more our disbelief and our doubt starts to fade and slowly begins to turn to hope. But everything is still secondhand report to us. Then suddenly, in that locked room, Jesus appears. <laughs> Jesus shows up. We gasp, our eyes bulge, we notice our, stin, our skin starts to crawl just a little bit. We, we look at each other a little bit afraid, terrified even the text says, wondering if anyone else is seeing what I'm seeing. It's one of those things where you're looking at somebody going, are you, are you seeing this? Am I the only one? Are you seeing this? Mary Magdalene's in the corner just smiling. Tears beginning to flow down her worshipful face. The two from Emmaus are about to burst into song and dance, and we're still there with our mouths open, wondering what is going on. And then Jesus speaks and says, Peace be with you. It's not just shalom, it's not just the standard greeting. There's the gift of peace. It feels like he's brought something from somewhere else to us and taken the lid off when he said, peace be with you. He might as well have said my name 
like he said Mary's by the tomb when he said peace be with you Chad peace I bring Luke's gospel opened with a terrified Zechariah when the angel appeared unexpectedly and Luke's gospel is closing with terrified disciples when Jesus showed up unexpectedly a little application point from these first two verses here as we see their problem they're confused in fact if you're looking at the text this morning it's these aren't really points of the sermon just to kind of frame it a bit for you there's their confusion right here in 36 and 37 and then Jesus solution to fix that through the remaining part I'll give you a few points and about 27 sub points just kidding just kidding Here's some application from that confusion though, right? They were all just talking about the resurrection and then Jesus shows up and it's like, what? I find sometimes it's easier for us to talk a big game and to go along with everybody else's experiences. But when the rubber meets the road, it can throw us for a bit of a loop. When we have to walk by faith, when we have to show up, when we have to speak up on our own and not just rely on the elders or the deacons to serve or sister so-and-so because, man, she's so great at this. When it's our turn and we can't rely on the second hand, sometimes it throws us for a loop. What is Jesus' solution? Well, number one, uh, he has, I think, three things here that I think are profound. The first thing he does is he says, look at me. <laughs> Look at me, verses 38 through 43. Jesus, it's, we've already read it. He says, look at me, look at my hands, look at my feet, handle me, look at me. He even has a piece of broiled fish with them. Why are you afraid? Why are you doubting? It's a reminder, but it's also a rebuke. He says, it's me, I was crucified. <laughs> See my hands and feet, I'm not a spirit, this is a body. Jesus here is attesting to his own resurrection. We have eyewitness accounts of his resurrection. He was seen by more than 500 people alive after the resurrection. Last Sunday, churches all over the globe gathered and people saved and lost even, got into church buildings and there would be a call and a response. We did it here. Let's try it again, where the pastor or somebody would say, I love that Pastor D gets you before you even get in the building. I heard him outside, I heard him in the lobby, narthex, vestibule, insert appropriate word there. I heard him in the, in the uh, sanctuary, and then he said it to me as soon as he walked up. And he says, he is risen, and we respond, he is risen indeed. Churches all over the globe were saying that. But one notable church in Atlanta, Georgia, wasn't saying that. In fact, their pastor tweeted this out. Listen carefully. Here's a pastor, professing Christian pastor that tweeted this. The meaning of Easter is more transcendent than the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Whether you are Christian or not, through a commitment to helping others, you can save yourselves. Uh, what? Thank you. An elder, quick, one of the elder's responsibilities to guard doctrine. And you heard the elder, you heard him, didn't you, Eric? Right behind you, nope. <laughs> Phil saying, nope. That's what we all say. We hear that, you go, hmm, no. Listen again, the meaning of Easter is more transcendent than the resurrection of Jesus Christ. I, I don't mean to quote, is it Inaga Monteo from The Princess Bride, but I don't think you know what that word means. 
you don't get more transcendent than the resurrected body of Jesus Christ. And then he said, whether you're a Christian or not, through a commitment to helping others, we are able to save ourselves. Sadly, it's the pastor of Ebenezer Baptist Church, the historic church that was one time pastored by Martin Luther King Jr. and his father, Daddy King. This was Dr. Uh, the Reverend Dr. Raphael Warnock, now Senator Warnock in the state of Georgia. Heresy on many levels. But this is the radical representation of what's called the social gospel. This is where it has to go because you don't need Jesus to do good things for others. And if doing good can save you, then the resurrection is just an emotional, ethereal moment. That's not exactly how this thing plays out. This is not reality. This is not helpful. I think sometimes, uh, let me just step here and just say, I don't even want to say benefit of the doubt, but I think sometimes people say, insert appropriate adjective here, things like this, thinking they're going to draw lost people, but that doesn't really help anybody lost find their way. If I'm lost, I need a lighthouse to guide the way. I need truth in a world of lies and deceit. I don't need it. Everybody can just go along and save themselves. No, I can't. I've tried. This is an alternate reality crafted by humans. This is not the word of God. He is risen. One more time. He is risen indeed. Thank you. Christ has risen from the dead. He's attesting to his own resurrection here. Handle me, see me. He says, look at me. If you're confused this morning, look at Jesus. If you're getting drowned by the voices of the world, a million voices competing for your attention, look at Jesus, our resurrected king. Number two, Jesus then takes them to the word. He says, remember the word. We're gonna look at these two verses or three verses together. I don't want you to write that down. Remember the word. Look at me. Remember the word. Verses 44 through 46. I think we'll have them on the screen for you. And then he said to them, These are my words that I spoke to you while I was still with you, that everything written about me in the law of Moses and the prophets and the Psalms must be fulfilled. Then he opened their minds to understand the scripture. And said to them, thus it is written that Christ, the Christ, should suffer and on the third day rise from the dead. He does for the group what he did for the two on the road to Emmaus. Go back and read the whole passage, Luke 24. What did he tell them? He takes these three solemn divisions of the Hebrew Bible. Moses, he's talking about the law and the prophets and the Psalms. And he basically says that all of history is preparing for this moment. Not only did all of history prepare for this moment, but the entire future of the human race rests on the three days between the cross and the empty tomb. He's saying that every single iota of scripture points to him and the true purpose of the old covenant was to prepare Israel for the coming Messiah. And Jesus would say, I am that I am. Just a side note here. We were in the locked room with them. The door was locked. Jesus has appeared. We get it. We see his hands and feet. We fix him some broiled fish. He eats it. We're good, right? We've had an experience, right? I mean, we've had a miraculous experience, right? Why would Jesus then, I'm sorry, let me just talk to the young people for a moment. Why would Jesus take them off of this crazy high of an experience and teach them Old Testament? Seems like a downer a bit. No? 
This, anybody else thought that? No, we're very spiritual, Pastor. We thought it was amazing. Great, let's go to Leviticus. Why would he do that? Wasn't their personal experience enough? Does the word really matter as long as I have an experience with God? As long as I love Jesus, isn't that enough? Wasn't it enough that we had seen him? The short answer is no, it's not enough. One of the reasons Jesus taught them the word, not only taught them the word, but opened their minds so they could understand the word was because, watch this, he didn't want their belief in the resurrection to rest on their experience. No, he was showing them the reality. It's been there all along. Resting their faith on a miracle was not sufficient for the disciples. And it's not sufficient for yours either. Don't get caught up in being a part of a generation like Jesus said, a wicked and perverse generation that seeks after a sign or a wonder or some mystical or inexplainable, sensational, miraculous thing happening before your eyes. Unless that happens, I won't believe. Wrong. Some of you have lost loved ones. Many of us, I know, most of the room, a lot of us have lost loved ones that we're praying for. They're on my list. I'm praying for your family. And we think if we're not tempted, we, if we're not careful rather, we're tempted to think, you know, if, if God would just show them something, if, if the Lord would come down himself or if, if, if like, I, I don't know, but if some wonderful mirror, if they could see some big miraculous thing, they would believe in him. But Jesus would say to that, can you hear him saying, remember when I was with you? I already covered that. He covered it when he talked about the rich man and Lazarus in Luke 16. And he says, if they don't hear Moses and the prophets, what? Neither will they be convinced if someone should rise from the dead. Now, we live in a resurrected reality, but it's reality because it's settled in his word this morning. So this whole thing of chasing an experience or a party or an event or a religious experience that's some kind of adrenaline rush, I believe the Lord would rather you open your mind, he'll do it for you with the Holy Spirit, to understand the scriptures so that you are satisfied with him. Let me say this too. By the way, the miraculous still happens. It's pretty awesome. You get to see some things that will blow your mind, but you may never see something like is described here. You may never see an experience like somebody else had, and you may not see this happen the way that happened. You can't let your faith, your faith rest on second-hand experiences and encounters. Settle your faith in the Word of God. That resurrection night, locked up with the 11, Jesus brings them out of the euphoria of the moment and connects the gospel and the mission to the reality from the old Testament, by the way, that was their Bible at the time. He showed them the law and the prophets and the psalm all taught of his suffering. The law of the prophets and the psalms all taught of his death. The Old Testament taught of his resurrection. All of them taught of the mission to the world would begin in Jerusalem and touch the nations. By the way, wink, we read it in Psalms when we opened up this morning. As we approach this missional text here, which is really the thrust, the go and tell of our sermon this morning. I want you to notice how smoothly Jesus just walks right into this. It's so beautiful and clever. It's like a hot knife cutting through butter. 
Jesus says it in one thought. Look at what he says. He opens their minds to understand the scriptures and he says to them, thus it is written that Christ should suffer and on the third day rise from the dead and that repentance, it's one sentence, you see it? And that repentance for the forgiveness of sins should be proclaimed in his name to all nations beginning from Jerusalem. You are witnesses of these things. See it? He's calling them to action now. So what was his solution to their confusion? He said, look at me, look at the word, now go tell everybody everywhere. Wow. And how do we do that? How do we go tell everybody everywhere? The mission, should you choose to accept it or should you choose to receive him? Wait, he's chosen, okay, that that little illustration doesn't work. Let's move on. Uh, The mission is this. We go, we take his name and this gospel to the nations, but we do it by the power of his name. We do it in his name. That's the authority that we go in. We go in the authority of Jesus' name. We go in the authority of Jesus Christ, the seed of a woman. We go in the authority of Jesus Christ, the true prophet. Jesus Christ, the great high priest. Jesus Christ, the conquering king. Jesus Christ, the son of man and the son of God. Jesus Christ, the suffering servant. Jesus Christ, the lamb seated on the throne. We are presenting Jesus Christ to the nations. You are not presenting a creed, an ideology, an apologetic. You're not presenting your story or your faith. You are presenting the only begotten son of the living God of this Bible, the Lord Jesus Christ. And when we go in his name, we go in his authority, not ours. It takes the pressure off. It's his work, not ours. We do it his way. What's our message? He said, and that repentance for the forgiveness of sins was to be proclaimed. Repentance? Yeah. Jesus said in Luke 5, I've not come to call the righteous but sinners to repentance. 25 times Luke uses that phrase in Luke and Acts, calling sinners to repentance. Well, see, if we call people to repentance, that means we've got to address sin. And people don't like to admit they're a sinner in need of a Savior. I want to go to heaven when I die. But uh, don't tell me I've got a problem I have to fix. That's very anti-American of you. That's encroaching on my space. Uh, get, Get out of my face with that. But Jesus is saying this is the message of hope. You don't need an upgrade in your life. You need to repent. You need to change your mind about your sin and agree with God's mind about your sin. That's what repentance looks like. There are two ways to live. I've covered this before when we talked about the gospel earlier this year and sharing the gospel with our neighbors. Two ways to live. There's our way, which is basically us saying no to God. (laughs) We can continue in our own rebellion, which is what the Bible calls that, against God and try to run our lives our way without him. Saying no to God keeps us in rebellion and winds us up in destruction. Or we can say yes to God. We turn to God and appeal for his mercy, trusting in Jesus' death and resurrection to pay for our sins. Saying yes to God begins with repentance. Our default is no. 
repentance reorients us to yes. And the desire to move from the no to the yes, the Bible says, is the gift of the Spirit. God is working in you now, some of you in this room, some of you right now, holding that device, watching on screen. God is moving now, drawing you from the no to the yes. Here's the beauty of what we proclaim. It's not just that you're a dirty, rotten sinner. Right? But there's forgiveness for our sins. We sing, my chains are gone. I've been set free. My God, my Savior, has ransomed me. God's response to, for, to repentance is forgiveness. And it's absolutely necessary for us to be forgiven so that we can get to heaven. Sin is the reason that Christ died. And there can be no eternity without forgiveness. This is what the believer experiences. This is why we as believers are quick to forgive others. Because we've been forgiven. We go and tell everybody everywhere in his name. Repentance we proclaim. Forgiveness of sins, we proclaim. This is all good news. It's for all the nations. This is the universal mission and responsibility of God's people. It's our watch. It's his call, but it cannot be done in our own power or our own might. How do we do it? It's right there on the screen. By the power of his spirit. We're looking at both a description here and a prescription for us when we look at Luke 24, 49. Just like Jesus promised them the Holy Spirit would come, we know that he has come. Watch this. Jesus tells them in that locked room, I'm sending the promise of my Father upon you, but stay in the city until you are clothed with power from on high. Watch this. Acts 1.8, just a bit later. You'll receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you, Luke's still writing, and you'll be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. You want to see it fulfilled? One of the ways it was fulfilled, look at Acts 4, 31. And when they had prayed, the place where they were gathered together was shaken, and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and continued to speak the word of God with boldness. What? Wow. Now, we definitely pressed the fast forward button a little bit and scrubbed a little bit forward to that, but there's a lot in between. But you see this play out. The Holy Spirit is what's necessary for this. They're actually pray, they're praying here for lost people that are persecuting them. And it says they continue to speak God's word with boldness. I'll leave that verse up for just a moment. Jesus said about the Holy Spirit that his, one of his jobs, he wouldn't speak of himself or of his own power. He would glorify Jesus. He guides the Christian into truth. He convicts the world of judgment, of righteousness, and convicts them of sin. The disciples see it play out right here. Because of the resurrection, they're gathered together. <gasps> That's why we're here today, not just Easter Sunday. Because of the resurrection, they were praying for those who are lost. They still were thinking of lost people in light of the resurrection. Because of the resurrection, their fear was conquered with boldness. They weren't struggling with hope and fear in that moment. Not that we all don't struggle with that at times, but they were fixed in, dialed in on their mission. And because of the resurrection, their new reality was this. We, we must go and tell everyone everywhere who will listen about this living God who made a way for us to have a living relationship with him. Are you living in the real world this morning? Are you in touch with reality? 
You've got lost friends and those that would dispute God's word and people who don't like church or Christianity that say, you're not living in the real world. Oh, contrary. This is reality. Are you walking in the power of Christ this morning? Are you smitten with the resurrection this morning? Come and see. Huh. Go and tell everyone everywhere in his name by the power of his spirit that repentance is essential, that forgiveness is possible. The God that made you and made everything in this world and outside of this world knows you. He knows every thought you've ever had, every word you've ever spoken, every deed you have ever done, and he still loves you. And he's calling you to turn from that position of rebellion this morning to a position of righteousness because of what he's done. And it starts with one more R, ready? It manifests in repentance. That's what that turning is. God wants to make you a new woman, a new man, a new boy, a new girl. The life that you were made to have that you don't currently have, you can have because the reality is Jesus Christ rose from the dead. Sinner, cast yourself on the Lord today. Step into this resurrected reality. Jesus was rejected so we could be accepted. He suffered so we could be relieved. He was despised so we could be glorified. He carried our pain so we could find comfort. He was struck down so we could be lifted up. He was wounded so we could be healed. He was oppressed so that we might be set free. He was cut off so that we could come near. He was assigned to the grave, crushed and counted among rebels so that our rebellion could be exchanged for eternal life. Guess what? That's Let's stand together this morning. Christian, if you wear the name Christian, then our reality has changed. We can't get away from the resurrection. Our commission, our assignment flows right out of it. Let me go back to Dr. Lawless, what he said this morning. Here's what he said. An Easter holiday that doesn't lead to proclamation is missing something. Some of us today need a resurrection refresh our message is not a philosophy it's not even a way of life it'll impact both it's the eternal good news based on historical events prophesied in the old testament and fulfilled by jesus the messiah we proclaim him crucified we proclaim him resurrected and this is good news for everyone everywhere let's pray father we love you this morning we want to walk in resurrection power, not because we want to be seen or heard or distinct in that way, but we recognize that this is just the reality for those of us who claim to walk with you. Lord, for that one or two or however many this morning that are in this building gathered together or online watching now, that don't have a living relationship with you. Father, I pray they would repent and maybe pray and tell you that they're sorry for their sins and they confess those sins to you, Lord, confessing that sin of telling you no for all these years in their lives. That they would say, thank you, Lord. I'm sorry and thank you. Thank you 
for sending your son to pay the price for their sins. They'd say, I'm sorry, thank you, and then they might say, please, Lord, please forgive me. Make me new. Please help me to walk in obedience to your word because you are worthy. We ask these things in Jesus' name, and the church said, amen. This morning, we're going to join in worship with our friend Eric Gunter. He's going to lead us this morning in some wonderful songs surrounding the resurrection.